Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Friends, welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name, as always, is Josh Norris. His name, as always, as always, is John Daigle, and that guy's Ian Harditz. <laughs> we have to do it for the audio. More people listen to the audio than watch the video. They heard his jacket like rubbing against his arm. Right. For people that don't, can't see, I'm mean, I give an awesome salute every single podcast. It's just could not the, be happier to be here. I'm ready. Do to you go. get ever? Do you give it every pod? Oh, every time. I've never every noticed. Time. It's to get the energy up. Yeah. I've never noticed. And I try to just make Josh laugh and ruin whatever he has planned. I don't laugh very easily. I'm a very unhappy person <laughs> at all times. Never smile. Who no. is your comedy hero? Like who who do you What? Who do you like who did you watch? Who do you think like instilled comedy into My you? smiling? Yes. No, yeah, in comedy. Like who did you look to and think like, oh, I laugh and I now uh credit comedy. Doug funny. Okay. That's her. <laughs> that Doug, that's a Doug Lowe's movies, guys? No, Doug that was Doug. Like chicka pata, chicka chicka. Oh, I had, a, oh, I had an existential serious question okay. I was asking you because we all have like comedy in our roots. Not and for really, now, I don't. Like, Holy. I actually <sighs> um, really dislike uh, sitcoms. Like I've never watched. I don't really watch comedy television shows. Disliked, but no. I'm curious where this goes. Well, it's all negative. I, it, it's something where I, I feel like I'm funny enough as an individual that for some reason I've never that. pursued. I'd say toot your own horn anymore. Yeah. Comedic Jeez. television. Like everyone points to like Silicon Valley or. Um, oh, it goes much deeper. Like you, you and I are over thirty though. Ian's twenty six. Like we have our roots. Like what I did you what watch? Even, I, I watched a lot of football. Even your college years, as then, you were like developing. I am so tired of you guys talking like you're thirty. Like you just have decades of life 31. experience over me. Anytime five years I, a lot. Oh, whatever. I was I actually. I did want to know though. Like, what, well, what's yours? You oh, it's Doug. gonna. It's, what's yours? Uh, who shaped my comedy view of life? <laughs> the same question you asked. I mean, I know me. the answer. It's just going to be a weird one. Okay. Uh, Ricky Gervais and Carl Pilkington literally like shaped the way I look at comedy. But not now. when you were like they fifteen years old. Yeah, no, I think they. Ch- I, I've listened to every single hour of Sirius XM with huh. them in Britain. Every single hour. They literally shape the way I view comedy as a whole now. You know, I feel like I have an answer to a lot of questions. I did not have an answer to that question. That's fair. That's I fine. apologize. I'll think about, about it next week. Favorite stand-up comedian or. I don't, this is a one where I think you have Comedy's this. so important, though. I know that you are attached to this question much more than anyone else is. That's fair. It's good view. I'll go Seinfeld, but that's not my. Never seen an episode. Yeah. That is. Wow, that's weird. That's well, crazy. Just being honest. The only thing is I'm laugh tracks people. are, you can't deal with them. I don't laugh have to call people weird, so but bad. that's weird. Okay. That's weird as well. I, I can be weird. I'm an odd person. I'm off the wall. All right. It's as you know. funny. This early week episode is always a big picture podcast, and you can tell by the start of this one. Uh, later on, we will hit on John Daigle's waiver column. Just a few pickups. It's much more extended in this column, so go and check that out. Also, it's the fantasy football playoffs. 
ladies and gentlemen. It's here. Playoffs. I know you all made them because your listeners, your viewers, hopefully you even got a buy. Um, so we'll help you try to win those matchups later on the week when we hit on start sets, when we hit on game previews mm -hmm. and matchups. Um, but, you know, with just four weeks left in the regular season, why not take a big picture look at the playoff picture? That's how we're going to start this one off. Uh, first, let's look at the NFC, and I'll reel off kind of the order of the standings right now. And wherever you guys want to jump in, just let me know. Uh, right now, and we're recording this regrettably before Monday Night Football, so this could change. But right now, the San Francisco 49ers have the number one seed. If Seattle does win on Monday night, they actually jump up to this seed. Um, the 49ers are 10-2. and two. We know they just lost to the Ravens this weekend. They do face the Saints and the Falcons the next two weeks. And the two seed, these, again, are the teams that are going to have a bye in the first round. The New Orleans Saints are also at 10-2. They face San Francisco in Week 14 upcoming. So that could have the Saints climb even higher in this. And after that 49ers matchup, the Colts um, are next for the Saints. So here's the interesting part to me. If, the, if this holds out where 49ers keep the number one seed, they could be the number one seed, and I don't think anyone would disagree. They've probably been the best overall team in the NFC this year. Hmm. But they might have the worst QB of any of these playoff teams, which I don't think we're used to seeing. I mean, if we're saying we're looking at Jimmy G versus Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, I think we'd agree he's behind each of those guys easily. Even Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins. I mean, statistically, those guys have definitely been better than Jimmy G this year. Maybe things even up a little bit when we consider Kyle Shanahan's influence on the offense and all that. But, man, like – we're talking about Baltimore, San Francisco maybe being a Super Bowl preview, and I don't disagree with that. But with that said, the 49ers are going to have the worst QB in pretty much any two playoff matchups they're going to run into. And it's amazing what they've done with the myriad of injuries they've had to deal with, like both starting, both tackles, uh, numerous running backs, tight end, obviously, fullback. Like all these pieces are so important to their run-happy attack, and yet they've continued to do so. And now it just seems like they're finally getting healthy. And so they should be clicking. And – I know it, they lost against the Ravens, but we shouldn't discredit them because of that. Like, that was two teams, a possible Super Bowl Just preview. a field goal difference between yeah, the Yeah, and teams. it was literally a field goal difference. Yeah. Same as last year with Patriots and Chiefs. It was literally one possession that separated them, which is what the elite teams do against one another. I think I'm more confident in the Saints right now than I am in the 49ers, though. Because I think the Saints team is also getting healthier. Mm -hmm. We know that Teron Armstead has missed a little bit of time. Drew Brees missed an extended period of time right now. Marshawn Lattimore yep. has missed some time. We'll talk about them later on when we talk about awards. At least I will. But I'm, I'm really confident in the Saints. They know who they are. They know what their identity is. And even with Drew Brees attacking the field a little bit more as we see each and every week as it seems to go along, I, I really feel good about the Saints team. And they've already locked up their own division. We'll see how they handle those final few weeks. But as soon as they lock up one of these top two seeds, um, I, I think they're a team that's very, very dangerous when we go through the NFC playoffs. I, I feel we're bringing this up with the Saints, but like Jared Cook is making a huge Major difference there. Yeah. I mean, last year it was just Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, if you can slow down those guys, you're slowing down the entire offense. Every time Cook touches the ball, he's making something happen. And, you totally know, agree. when you are that good and you are the number three option, obviously defenses aren't going to be able to take attention away from Thomas or Kamara to focus on Cook, so he's benefiting from that. But this is a better offense than we saw last year. Right now, the three and four seeds are the Green Bay Packers at the three. They've basically locked it in. It depends on what Minnesota happens on Monday Night Football. Um, and moving forward, but Green Bay has a much easier schedule. Washington Redskins and the Chicago Bears the next two weeks. Dallas Cowboys still, despite how bad they were on Thanksgiving, <laughs> despite how bad they've been kind of as of late, and despite my confidence in them are still just 6-6, six and six, yet they have a, a stranglehold on, on this division. Like, they definitely carry their own destiny moving forward. Um, they only have a one-game lead 
plus a head-to-head matchup tiebreaker with the Eagles. So it's kind of like a game and a half I think on the Eagles in some They carry their own destiny, but it's barely. It's like neither the Eagles or the Cowboys want to win the division. Right. They're, they're literally just the Spider-Man meme pointing at one another because they're trying to hand each other the NFC East every single week. The Cowboys are a, a top-heavy roster that we credit too much, myself included, especially the past two weeks where I thought they were, their offense was impenetrable. Like I thought they could actually flourish against the Patriots, and perhaps that was weather-related, and the Bills, which Dak Prescott arguably played the worst game of his entire career. Not just this season, but the worst game of his career, which was extremely odd. Hmm. And so we just have other teams now that are surging despite problems, and yet the Cowboys continue pinning it down on their injuries. Like, oh, we're missing offensive line. Oh, we're missing this guy. It doesn't matter. Other teams are fighting through it. Why don't the Cowboys? So we can easily just say top-heavy roster that's being dragged down by their coaching staff and call it a day. Only one of those teams is going to make the playoffs, too, because the Eagles right now are outside looking in, and it's all dependent on who wins that division. And I'll just jump to the Eagles right now. If they win out, they are the team that's going to get imagine? in, despite losing to the Dolphins this past weekend. Do you guys think has a higher playoff ceiling between the Eagles and Cowboys? Cowboys, definitely. I still think it's the Cowboys. Do you know what's shocking? The Cowboys have the best third-down conversion rate in the NFL yeah. this season. I, I was looking that up the, this morning, and – it blows my mind, and maybe part of it is because they have – I mean, when you look offensively, they have the ability to go downfield. They have the ability to win intermediate. They also have the ability to win short. They have a quarterback that can be mobile. They have a very talented offensive line. It's one of those teams that I think if they can get in and win that first round, they can be a little dangerous. But I feel like I am saying that every single weekend as well. The Bills was the first worrisome game. It was very their worrisome. their other losses we can attribute to something. The Saints loss, they just ran the ball too much. Terrible play calling. Fine. Throw it behind you. The Vikings loss, Dak played his best game ever, but their run rate on first down was one of their highest rates in the league. It was crazy despite the fact they were averaging under three yards per carry on first down. Throw that one out the window. But the Bills, you should have done better, especially the way Levi Wallace has been struggling recently. And the fact is you didn't do anything at all. I will say the one thing with the Cowboys that I might be overlooking a little bit is this defense went from being really good last year to being just average at best yep. this year. Totally agree. Again, some injuries. Crawford's been on the IR. Leighton Van Der Esch has been – he's going to miss another week with this weird neck injury. But, yeah, I mean, we talked about the Cowboys offense really outperforming expectations the first few games of the season. I think the defense was kind of the true, quote-unquote, frauds of that uh, short sample size. And their next two games are against the Chicago Bears and the L.A. Rams. And while neither are in the playoff picture right now in terms of the top six seeds – Not easy. Both have – winning areas of their football team obviously with the Bears defense and the Rams defense as well plus they have offensive weapons as well so it there's easily a path that the Cowboys don't make the playoffs uh, right now as we mentioned Seattle's in the five seed that could change and that could be San Francisco in the five seed at worst though Seattle's going to get a wild card spot and they also face San Francisco again in the final week of the season we know what happened last time when those two teams played off and in the sixth seed right now it's the Minnesota Vikings uh, another team that we don't have a complete record on right now, but the Rams are down the throats of possibly Minnesota and some other teams with that final wild card spot because they're seven and five right now. They're coming off a monstrous victory over the LA Rams. They do face Seattle and Dallas the next two weeks, so it's a difficult road to the playoffs. But if they start clicking a little bit uh, more offensively, and especially their offensive line, there is a path to success here for the Rams. Yeah, it's wild to say because I was kind of leaving them. I off was down the on that, but. Me too. Uh, 
I know it was Arizona, and you said this before. I mean, we were on Sunday show talking about how, like, how can we trust this Rams offense? And they really are just coming off of a pretty brutal three-game stretch. I think past additions obviously would perform better than they did, and you know they couldn't even score over 17 points in those three games. But like you said, yeah, if they can protect golf and let them get these receivers, Gurley's kind of getting going again. It all it all goes through the offensive line. I mean, Jared Goff yeah. has been great this year. Gurley has been great this year. But the biggest difference between the last two years and this year has easily been the offensive line. And that's a possession group that can gel as it goes along. Yeah, and it's, it's helped with Robert Woods back as well. Like in his right. th- last three games, he's leading them in target share. Uh, oddly enough, just an interesting note, uh, pacing for 87 catches and 1,138 yards and zero scores, which is the most hmm. since Al Toon, whoever that is, in 1991. Nick Toon's dead. Uh, remember that yeah, wide receiver? One rushing score 74 catches that. and 963 yards. Rushing scores don't count. I know. Do you not remember Nick Toon? Although Toon? I should credit it to him. That's you remember fair. Nick Toon? I got tripped up on it too. Wisconsin uh, wide receiver? Yeah, back, he probably lost to Ohio State a few times like the rest of them. New Orleans Saints wide receiver. People were excited about him in the draft. No, that name doesn't pop up. The Nick name Toon? rings a bell, but I don't remember being excited about him. So. Well, me either. Okay. Uh, <laughs> only eight teams are relevant in the NFC. Let's switch over to the AFC right now. Uh, the number one seed is obviously the Baltimore Ravens. It certainly seems like, and they jumped actually the New England Patriots based on their win of the 49ers and the Patriots lost the Houston Texans. But in the number two seed, is New England. Um, Daigle, I looked at you in the radio studio last week when we were talking about those six-game previews. We look at each other a lot. Multiple times mm-hmm. said, I am not afraid of Tom Brady. He is the least of my concerns when it comes to this team being a successful one down the stretch. Uh, this was a shock to me yesterday of how the Houston Texans and the Patriots game played out. I'm officially concerned about this Patriots team. Maybe that comes back to bite me, but I feel like I'm the last person to say that because in the previous years there has been one piece of this team that we've had concerns and have been worried about through stretches of the year and they've always fixed it. Is this offense fixable at this point? They're getting a little bit healthier with Sanu and Harry back and their O line. They lost Harry was two bench last night too. Yeah, which and I mean they have some pieces to maybe get it together, but now they got Cannon getting hurt. They got missed another. Uh, Car- Curse. Yes, yes. Yeah. He went out. I mean, which is big. Yeah, they haven't been – like, the, again, the offensive line, I think, has been kind of the un- underrated problem in New England for most of this year. That's kind of been why Sonny Michelle hasn't been able to get going. That's why Brady hasn't uh, had as many opportunities to attack downfield. You know, I don't want to bet against these guys. This happens every year. They end up coming back. They end up figuring it out. This did seem like the perfect get-right spot for them because they, oh, you know, we're using them beating down Houston. But with that said, I mean, they got to play Kansas City next week. After that, they got Incensi, home versus Buffalo, home versus Miami. Even if they struggle again next week against the Chiefs, I mean, they could easily just be on a three-game win streak, get that fixed, go into the playoffs. And I would imagine they struggle against the Chiefs. There is no logic to what I'm going to say. Oh, no. However, I mean, it's not, it's not too hot takey. I'm just – I'm not worried at all. We're not like, stopping you. I don't, I don't think there's a reason for me to be worried. Like, we do this every year. Every year we look at their numbers. We list off, oh, like Brady's struggling with a deep ball. Oh, they can't run the ball. Oh, they don't have any explosive players. They're going to fine-tune their offense through December. They'll probably win the first round, and then let's talk about it again. But to me, it's hmm. – it's, and like I said, there's no logic to that with how badly they performed. I understand they, their offense in particular has been terrible. Their defense has struggled since not playing the Luke Fox of the world over their first eight games. But it's still it's, – it, it's just like, why but should I worry? Like, these, why? These are the six teams in the playoffs right now for the AFC. Baltimore, New England, mm-hmm. Kansas City, Houston, Buffalo, and Pittsburgh. The Patriots have the second worst defense of that six group. Yeah. Is Fair. that not concerning? I understand. Offense. offense. Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah, six, yeah. Second worst offense across that group. Now, that is concerning. And I know that they're going to get 
home playoff games, right? Because they're most likely going to get the number two seed because the Chiefs are behind them at eight and four. The Texans are behind them at eight and four. And maybe something does change if that game was in New England and not in Houston and in that dome. But this is a New England team right now where I believe Bill O'Brien said, well, we stopped the run by just adding another player to the box. Okay, the Patriots this year don't have the antidote for just an extra player coming down into the box. Like, they don't have that Rob Gronkowski. If Julian Edelman is covered as the primary read, things go off the rails. Mm -hmm. And, again, I held out for a very long time saying that I'm not worried about this offense. I am now. I truly am now because it's kind of like the Eagles when you think about it, right, where everything just looks so difficult offensively despite really talented pieces, despite a talented offensive line, it's not clicking. And if it hasn't clicked so far in 13 weeks of the season – how can we bank on it clicking for the next seven weeks of the NFL season? That's why I brought up Harry, though. Like, he seems like that one kind of ace of spades in their pocket that he can, he can win one-on-one matchups. You can throw him the ball when he's covered because you're right. They don't have I – mean, even Gronk last year, it wasn't like he was doing much in the regular season. He was massively disappointing in the regular season. But when it came down to in the playoffs, Eric Berry, that last Chiefs drive, you know, in the Rams in the fourth quarter, like he was still able to make these one-on-one plays. But you're right. Right now, after Edelman, they don't have anyone that can do that. The numbers back up. Your arguments. Right. I totally understand. Like I said, there is no logic to what I'm saying. It's just like I have. I'm not falling for this again. We it's do this more every year. This year but we say year. that it seems like it every is. year. We literally say. Dago, well, I understand. I, I totally three years am ago, with you. We sat there against the Chiefs on prime time, and we were just like, "Oh, it's more extreme than ever. They're done." And then here we are today, yeah. and only Nick Bowles, who was benched yesterday, has been able to top them. Other than that, it hasn't mattered once. So I just. To me, there's just no reason to freak out just yet. I understand they've been bad. The numbers don't back it up. It's a dumb argument. I get it. But I just don't want to freak out and just do this as we do every single I've, year. I've sat in the same corner as you week in, week out. I think I'd rather just be late to the party, honestly. Okay. Fashionably late with this hoodie because Sims, Sims wears hoodies, so I figured <laughs> if he owns NBC, that's my path to success is wearing hoodies. My last point, like they have – 22nd in yards per play. Like, again, this is I the worst it. they have been since the early 2000s. Yep. So I know we've had – you know, issues in past years, too. But I just feel like the offense this year and their inability to consistently move the ball is the biggest issue that they've had to overcome in recent memory. I totally get it. All right, third seed, Kansas City Chiefs locked it up with that win, dominant win over the Oakland Raiders. At four right now, Houston Texans at eight and four. They are winning that division. They still face Tennessee twice to end the season. Mm -hmm. And that obviously will decide because we can jump down to the Titans who are outside looking in the playoffs right now despite being seven and five. Oakland and Houston next for the Titans, a really fun team who I think, Ian, are showing ways to win in multiple different outcomes and multiple different avenues. And that's very telling for a football team that was questioned earlier in the season. But with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback right now, they're a fun football team that can come back and win. They have players on defense and players on offense. And this is the most excited I've been about a Titans team in a very long time. They are, their offense goes through Derrick Henry. He is absolutely balling out. I think his last 16 games, he's at like 1,700 rushing yards, 18-some touchdowns, averaging 5.4 per carry. And he's even awesome in the screen game. I mean, he's averaging 10 yards per catch. I wish they'd give him a few more chances. But, yeah, and then Tannehill, as long as he keeps just balling out with his limited chances, that ball we threw to Raymond yesterday was just yeah. dropped out of the sky. Beautiful. The only guy averaging more adjusted yards per attempt this year than Tannehill is Kirk Cousins. He's been better than Mahomes, better than Russell Wilson. I know he's not actually better than those guys, but hey, the guy is dropping dimes on a weekly basis, and if he keeps playing like this, I mean, they can eke out a game. They eked out a playoff game before Marcus Mariota. I mean, I think Tannehill can maybe do that, but one, one thing, though, 
Chiefs, are we worried about this offense? Because mm-hmm. they've had they had 310 total yards against the Chargers, 259 against the Raiders. I know they scored 40 points, but we've seen back-to-back games where Mahomes has looked very human after never seeing that. I I wonder if running backs aren't replaceable in this offense Ooh. in some ways because how different this team looked last year with Kareem Hunt, the last two years with Kareem Hunt. Mm. And I understand he missed down the stretch of last season. Then Damian Williams kind of had like this resurgent play, and a lot of that I think was to do to the blocking that he was receiving. Well, now they're facing injury after injury, average talent after average talent. And I'm not sure if this team can be completely unbalanced because right now they kind of are. Now they're still getting some rushing production, but for this team to be the best that they possibly can be, Remember back to what Kareem Hunt was with the Chiefs, breaking tackles, creating yards on his own, making big plays. If you're relying just on Patrick Mahomes, who is still one of the best three to five quarterbacks in the NFL, can still hit Tyreek Hill down the field, can still hit Travis Kelsey down the field. But if you're completely eliminating big plays at the running back position, that's worrisome to me as being a true contender in the AFC. No, for sure. I think that's fair. I mean, they're 27th in adjusted line yards per rush this year, which just attempts to you know, focus on the offensive line's impact to a running game versus a running back. So I think we've known their offensive line isn't this group of world beaters because of how good Mahomes is, because of how good Andy Reid's scheme is. They've been fine. But, yeah, you take away the truly special backfield talent, it's not as easy. And it's a drop, it's a drop off, I think, from Damian to Shady and Daryl. I too. agree. It wasn't always all year, but when Damian is playing well, like that's at, in this current state of the Chiefs team, like that's when they can reach their ceiling. I do wonder if it's still all the injuries, though. Uh, like they've had, what, two games with everyone healthy? That's about it. Um, their offense fully healthy yesterday until the whole running back fiasco, which we'll talk on later. And still Sammy Watkins, zero catches yesterday. So it's Well, that's Sammy Watkins for I, you. No, we argued this after week one, still oh, high yeah. of the year because we know Sammy Watkins. Um, quickly, though, unless you want to make a point about the Chiefs, I want to say something on Well, Chiefs. I think there's only been three games this year where Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes have yep. all finished the game okay. together. That sounds about right, yeah. Um, quickly, though, on the Titans, number two offensive DVOA since Ryan Tannehill went under center, only behind the all-worldly Ravens. Uh, Mary, uh, Tannehill's 72% completion rate, obviously an upgrade to Mariota's 59%. That kind of solves all your problems when you can complete passes. Who would have thought? And then number three, we are now going down a path where Ryan Tannehill and Dak Prescott are essentially going to make the same money on a franchise tag hmm. because both franchises are looking to be forced to do that with both quarterbacks. Who would have ever thought that as well? Who would have thought that? <laughs> uh, but the Buffalo Bills right now are a wild card team. Um, Fun they wild have card a team strong, too. strong hold on that fifth seed. It would be surprising to see them jump up, obviously, over the New England Patriots. It's possible, but it would be surprising. And they do face the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers the next two weeks. So that's Josh Allen really being tested among those one of the top two defenses in the NFL. We keep talking about these teams dealing with injuries. I don't think the Bills have had a major injury, really, all season. I'm no. Talking, no. And like Other than Josh Allen missing a couple games because the concussion. Yeah, their injury report is just continuously like one or two questionable guys at most. And I mean, they've been making the best of it. I will say, like, we've talked about this with Josh Allen and kind of their earlier game against the Patriots showed this. Like, even if, you know, even if they're maybe not as good as your normal 9-3 and three team, I think their defense is very good, not super elite. I mean, Josh Allen, we see the ups and downs, but their range of outcomes, I think, is much wider than we're maybe giving them credit for. Hmm. If Josh, if Joe Flacco could get hot for a couple games and make it to the Super Bowl, I don't know why Josh Allen couldn't do that. That's all I'm saying. This was the comment I made at the start of the season, right? Like, we, if we want to nitpick Josh Allen for being an erratic passer that can be inconsistent, sure, you can do that all day, right? He, he's not, you know quarterback, classroom, 
perfection. But what you can look at and say that he is a roller coaster. And right now, it's the most ro fun roller coaster the Buffalo Bills fans have ever watched. Yep. And it's entertaining, and he's fitting the identity of this team. And if he limits those mistakes, those like two or three mindless decisions that he might make in some contest, if he's not making those, this is a very, very dangerous football team. Well, you know what's happened in the last three weeks, right? He's limited them. Ha have you seen what's happened? No, not just that. The Buffalo's offense as a whole. Uh, is great. Allen, the first nine games, completed 60% of his passes, right? The past three games, smaller sample, but it's completed 67% of his passes. And it's because their offense has used 11 personnel and over 90% of their snaps the past three games. It's because their offense against the Broncos hit a five-year high and no huddle rate. They're not only faster, they're using, three wide, they're using three wide receivers more often, and they're averaging over eight yards per attempt from it. So they have figured out who they are. And remember... Which is great. Remember, we talked about this before, when the one time they scored on the Patriots, that offensive touchdown when they came out of the locker room, was no huddle immediately after the break. And now they're using it full time. So just imagine when they run into the Patriots, which is why I'm very interested in that matchup if it occurs in the playoffs. Yep. We'll close out this playoff discussion with the Pittsburgh Steelers currently sitting at the number six seed, which is wild to think about. Mm -hmm. Right After starting the season with basically no wins, then trading the first round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick to going to Mason Rudolph for far too oh. long. Now this team actually has a chance. I mean, they have the same record as the Titans, but the Titans hold the tiebreaker, or excuse me, the Steelers hold the tiebreaker right now due to a better conference record. And the Steelers have some winnable games coming up, right? They have the Arizona Cardinals this next week, the Buffalo Bills after that. We know this is a defensive heavy football team, but Ian, at least Duck Hodges gives them a chance offensively because he's not going to make as many mistakes as Mason Rudolph, but he also will test more vertically where James Washington has really emerged. And this is also a team that's dealt with a lot of injuries. James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster, namely. Yeah, no, I agree. Duck Hodges is infinitively better than Mason Rudolph. It already seems clear. It's just wild to me that even like their losses this year, they lost week one to the Patriots. They had big bang hurt against Seattle, lost that. Then they lose in San Fran. They go to overtime against the Ravens and lose. And they lost that game in Cleveland when Rudolph got benched in the next week. Like, that's it. They've won the rest of their games. They've been competitive in almost all their losses except that Cleveland game. And like I said, it's not just Big Ben out. It's your number one wide receiver. It's your number one running back. I mean, we can even, you know, we kind of just dismiss the idea that Antonio Brown left them. But, like, that was their long time number one best receiver in the league. And he's gone, and we just don't even really kind of give them a pass with that. Yeah. So, the fact they've overcome all this is just incredible. And, you know, we'll talk about this more later. But I think Mike Tomlin should probably be the front runner for coach of the year. Transition us. Yeah. Let's get into this now. Let's go into Coach of the Year because which one of you wanted to talk about this? Was I, this I just want to quickly hit on Tomlin because I do agree. Like, uh, he's done a fantastic job. He's had to overcome a lot. But they've now won six of their last seven games, the Steelers. And you just look at their wins. The Chargers, the Dolphins, Brian Hoyer, Colts, the Rams, the Bengals, and the Browns. So I'm asking, like, or do we really need to be impressed by that? Because they're doing it defensively, right? Yeah. So I guess that is attributed to Tomlin, who even the players spoke so highly of after the game yesterday because, as we know, the Browns got out to a 10-0 lead in the first half. Um, the, the Pitt Steelers, I believe, only had four offensive possess possessions the first half. Tomlin went in the locker room, went to the whiteboard like an old-school high school football <laughs> coach, drew up a new defense for the second half, and the players just went by the chalkboard. And like mm. he actually drew up the way to stop the Browns halftime, and the players splurged and raved about it after the game. So like that, that has a feel-good sense. And yes, that's why I believe he's a candidate, but just like I don't. But he's not going to win. I don't think he should win at all. Yeah. No, because at best they make a wild card spot. And so, uh, oh, with all those injuries, like, yeah, that's, that's, just not gonna that's the argument. Yeah, I think we left them off for dead after that. Like one. I said, not I my pick, but. Yeah. right? So, are, 
is the point of this predicting who wins it or just suggesting who Both. you want to win it? Say, because if a, we're predicting who's one. going to win it, a wild card head coach is not going to win it, right? It's right. going to be the head coach Brian of the best team that was. That out of there. No, it was it was the head coach of the team that was most surprising that is among the best in the league, and so that's going to be John Harbaugh. Like mm-hmm. John Harbaugh is going to win this He's award win it. because this is a team that's two losses, and those are the only negative thoughts we've had about them were in the first four weeks of the NFL season. Since then, they've gone on this ridiculous streak. And upcoming, you have the Buffalo Bills, New York Jets, Cleveland Browns, and Pittsburgh Steelers. It's very possible this team wins, what, 12 in a row? Or 10 in a row to end the season? Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. And that's something where you also look at most likely the MVP of the season. And so coaching that and changing the game that some people might say in one NFL season, well, that might be Greg Roman, John Harbaugh's going to get credit for it. And so it, no doubt in my mind he wins Coach of the Year. That was my only point. I don't even – he could very well win it. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you there. But Harbaugh, amazing. More, I think, organizations should probably take the Ravens' approach where the head coach doesn't run your offense or defense. They run the organization because Greg Roman is running the offense, like you're saying. So for me, it's just hard to completely – say Harbaugh's a runaway because Roman has had such a large impact on their success. Same thing also Kyle Shanahan. He's been incredible this year, but yep. the 49ers are still defined by their defense, which he isn't the primary play caller for. I think the one guy that maybe has got a little bit under the radar recently is Sean Payton, just because what he did when Bridgewater came in and the offense just did not that's skip a, a beat, he, that's all on him. Like He is the offensive coach. He has kept them moving. And they brought Breeze back, and now they're balling. They're looking like championship contenders again. But just what he did with Teddy, you know, even mm-hmm. we always, you know, make fun of Taysom Hill and fantasy because of how annoying he is in vulturing our touchdowns. But, like, that, those packages are a pain for any defense. Is Sean Payton kind of in that Bill Belichick category where he's Every been, year. you know, a good coach for so long in the same system that it kind of just gets bland to these voters that vote on this, that the coach of the year very much is someone that has done something new, something different, a name that we haven't talked about as much? I think that's that yeah, fits here. I mean, he's just like Aaron Donald, which we're going to transition to in a second. Uh, just a candidate every single year, right? Popovich in the NBA, a candidate every single year. You basically have to name the award after Belichick, Popovich, and Aaron Donald at this point. And that's why I was thinking, like, having Breeze out and Peyton yeah. getting the chance to show that he, he can still win with that. Unfortunately, with horizontal Bridgewater, yeah. Right, unfortunately, but at the end of the season, that's going to be nine games previous, exactly. right? Exactly. It's so cold off. that's way he's, too long he's ago. He's done an amazing job. Remember, like, we're arguing 1A, 1B, 1C. Like, we're not arguing, like, this person doesn't belong on this roster. Right. It's just, I, I hate discredit. Bill Belichick's still the best coach in the league. I mean, yeah. we're not and talking you're, about Yeah, and him. you're not the only person I've heard discuss uh, discrediting Harbaugh for Greg Roman's job. Um, that's, that's a lot of opinions out there about that. But I, I just hate doing it, especially because I think we need, we really need Harbaugh to win this award. Uh, McFay comes in and disrupts the league, and then everyone follows in line and grabs a young offensive coordinator. Patrick Mahomes comes in and uh, and just disrupts the league and plays differently. Everyone now reaching for quarterbacks and whatnot, just with big arms. Um, we need Harbaugh to win, if only for his fourth down rate, if only for his ability to listen to other people outside of his own opinions. It is so important for hashtag our Ravens to be the forefront of football moving forward. So other franchises can just go out and hire a bunch of nerds. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Josh, you're going to end up in an office one day. No, I'm not. <laughs> I, I, I've been far too negative on Twitter for that. Um, I think a big part of this discussion is just stories. Like, I'm not a big fan, of, honestly, of end-of-season awards because it's just it's storyline-based, mm-hmm. right? It, it's which ones people attach themselves to. And I think Defensive Player of the Year, the story hasn't been told yet because, like, you look at Shaq Barrett, 
who has a lot of sacks, but so much of that was coming early in the season, and so much of that is just on an awful team. You have Aaron Donald, who continues to play lights out like an incredible football player, yet the Rams aren't good enough. The storyline just isn't there. Daigle, is there one that stands out to you right now as like, yes, this guy's going to win it? Because to me, I was looking at the list, and no one has stood out so far. I think any other year, it would not be a cornerback. Cornerbacks are so hard to judge, especially because uh, as the voting committee gets older, like they are, their opinions are not getting better, right? Uh, and so if no one throws towards Gilmore, he is discredited because he's not popping on film because quarterbacks are terrified to go that way. Also, recall in 09, Revis had an entire brand, an entire shirt made after him for Revis Island and didn't win Defensive Player of the Year. But it's a different scenario because there is no Charles Woodson waiting to take the award from Gilmore. Uh, Aaron Darnold will be in the conversation. Shaq Barrett plays for a miserable defense, has accounted for 13 of the Bucks' sacks. But even so, again, it's a miserable defense. It's like Alex Rodriguez winning a baseball MVP. Um, so I think right now the leader is Gilmore. It's just it's tough to say since, like I said, Revis in his 09 all-world season allowed 41, 425, two touchdowns and six picks. And this year, Gilmore unofficially allowed 4-47 and to Hopkins last night, hmm. which brings his totals to 34-407, no touchdowns, and four picks this year. Uh, but that means also quarterbacks are not throwing his way, and we've seen that. He shuts down an entire field, half of the field for himself. So I Except think that is your leader Hopkins. right now. Yes. Even then, though, he had, what, 67 yards? I mean, Gilmore, he shadows the number one receiver every single week. He moves into a slot, which a ton of shadow cornerbacks never do, period. I mean, like when I look at shadow matchups, I take the full game log from the wide receiver. So I think that paints a more accurate story. And look, like guys don't give up hundreds of yards in their direct coverage. It just doesn't right. happen. There's not that many matchups. With that said, Gilmore, the guys he's shadowed, whether it's been on him or someone else throughout the game, no touchdowns, no games, over 80 yards. Like Belichick has assigned him as the linchpin of the league's number one or number two defense, the opponent's number one wide receiver, and every single week mm -hmm. he has shut them down. To me, it's between Gilmore and Nick Bosa. It's your best player on the two best defenses. I lean Gilmore because I think the 49ers' D-line as a whole is just way more talented than the Patriots' secondary. They're both amazing groups as a whole. I don't want to discredit the McCourty brothers and those guys. They're awesome too. But I just think Gilmore is a step above um, Bosa when we kind of consider who else they're working with. And it's a, it's a case by case situation. Like this, I don't think Gilmore wins any other year. I think this year, though, he's the leader. Yeah. Can I throw out one name that I think is going to fly under the radar again? I, I want to hear it all. I, I guess think, it's Patrick. No, I think this one wins. That's a candidate as well. Yeah. This award is won in the next four weeks. Cameron Jordan. Cameron Jordan on the Northern Saints really? is second in the NFL in sacks right now. So he has the statistical advantage on a lot of other players that might not be able to generate those. Mm -hmm. He's also on one of the best football teams in the NFL. The Saints play the 49ers next, and he might be able to beat up on a backup offensive tackle in a very important game that a lot of people are going to watch in his spotlight performance. Then he gets um, the Indianapolis Colts on a Monday night football performance. So, again, there's the stage for him to come out and have another big performance. Then close with the Tennessee Titans and the Carolina Panthers, two below-average offensive lines. I could see a path to success here for Cameron Jordan, who is a flamboyant personality, someone who gives a great post-game interview to really rack up this award in the final four weeks of the season, especially if he ends the year as NFL sacks leader, which I think is very achievable. Yeah, and I do think, you know, compared to someone like Shaq Barry, like Chandler Jones, you, you have the extra boxes you can check with Cameron Jordan, where I think he's a more 
just a more complete edge defender in terms of getting more consistent pressure against the run. Nothing against Barrett and Jones, obviously, but and just also being on that good team, like you said. It's just going to be hard. Like, again, Aaron Donald, yeah, he's still – I think any of us would take him in a yeah. draft. If we could have one defensive player, it would be Aaron Donald. But, I mean, it's just tough when his numbers aren't what they used to be and the team isn't as good. So he's still got a league-high 17 tackles for a loss. I mean, he's still been incredible this year, but – I mean, it's, to me, it's like the LeBron James thing where, like, unless they're truly, truly breaking just records on records, they're probably not going to win the award, even though they're probably still the best player in the league. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, another one, obviously. Um, full of four picks and two forced fumbles, I believe, since he came over to the Steelers. Uh, has changed that defense just by adding another over-the-top piece. Um, Nick Bosa is another one who was not only defensive rookie of the year, but shouldn't be contained to just that because he's been so good for an all-pro defensive line as a whole. Uh, he's a defensive player of the year candidate. And then uh, Chandler Jones, I guess, even though the It's Cardinals- not going to happen. Okay, that's fine. I, I'm just throwing out candidates. That's I understand. Fine. I understand. Just remember this episode. Cameron Jordan, my friend. That's we went on a roller coaster really twice together. We went on a roller coaster twice together. That doesn't make it. I want to give Chandler Jones a quick shout-out because he's now had double-digit sacks for five straight years. Here's the group of guys that have done that. Simeon Rice, Vaughn Miller, Simon Fletcher, Richard Dent, Demarcus Ware, Lawrence Taylor, Bruce Smith, Jared Allen, John Randall, Reggie White, and now Chandler Jones. Uh, not my friend, Chandler Jones. We have a little bit of a history. Y'all didn't go in a roller Well, that's probably the worst family possible I to beef with. I totally understand. <laughs> we've, we've turned it into a nice little fun relationship. All right, let's hit some waivers. Let's, let's close out this episode with some waivers. Uh, first up is Darwin Thompson, the running back for the Kansas City Chiefs player a lot of people were excited about after the preseason because he showed out in the preseason was explosive undersized backed uh draft twitter nfl twitter Mm -hmm. loves that type of player well he finally got his biggest opportunity this past sunday against the oakland raiders uh with damian williams out with darrell williams going down in the game he had 11 carries of 44 yards and a touchdown to end the day against the raiders in a blowout victory quickly the week 14 edition of waiver wire is the caveat week because there's a caveat with every single person we're going to mention but we have to fine tune okay the hedge week darwin thompson let's get to andy reed's quotes after the game first of all LaShawn mccoy was not injured LaShawn mccoy is fully healthy and quote unquote andy reed we're not fooling anybody here He's not getting any younger, so it's my responsibility to manage him as best as I can, and I think I know him as well as anybody. McCoy played 24 snaps to Darwin Thompson's 24. Darwin obviously wasn't involved until Daryl Williams, who left with a non-contact injury, left the game. So now we have Daryl Williams unknown. We have Damon Williams, who hasn't touched the field even in practice since Mexico City. Uh, And so the doors have slowly opened up. It took 14 weeks, but the doors have slowly opened up for Darwin Thompson to lead this backfield by default. So I think he's probably going to be the number one pickup as I stand here right now. Yeah, my only question is the ceiling there. I know there's not a ton of just workhorse RBs sitting there on the waiver wire to scoop up. So I'm fine investing in the Chiefs offense versus like Patrick Laird or someone in Miami like that. But (laughs) Yeah, you are. He's also going to be in the column. I was about to say, no, because I know Ballard is out and all that stuff. But with that said, I mean, the Chiefs, at the Patriots, home versus the Broncos, at the Bears in, these, in the next three weeks. And we talked about it earlier. Like, these guys have not even over 600 yards of offense their last two games. I don't know if we can expect a guy getting 10 or 12 touches in this offense to necessarily give you hmm. RB2 production. But, I mean, you know. But I'll say this. If you have made your fantasy playoffs, the last one or two spots on your fantasy roster are kind of meaningless. They're kind of pointless, right? Because you have your lineup that's set and you have bench players that are up there. So why not attach yourself to this Chiefs offense as much as possible. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, I, to me, it makes sense there. And we don't have to go by, back like that far to think of players that have 
come in during the final weeks of the season and won people their fantasy leagues. David Johnson did that his rookie Damian year. Damian Williams last year. Matt Jones did that his rookie year. Yeah, it happens every year. Kevin Drake had a year. Steven Jackson, I'm, Maurice Jones-Drew. Like, we can do this every single yeah. year. It happens. So, it, look, we're not expecting it to happen with Darwin Thompson, but this is a player I would want to attach yep. the end of my roster I to. always just look for receiving backs. Like, the golden ticket is always the pass-catching girls. We know that. And Darwin Thompson, that's his specialty anyhow. So, anything eight-plus carries the rest of the season is fine by me because I want the targets. All right, let's next go to Raheem Mostert as I pull up his stats from yesterday. This is a backfield that everyone's had their time to shine so far this season. It's difficult to predict heading into games which one is a Matt Breida game, which one's a Tevin Coleman game, which one's a Raheem Mostert game. Well, yesterday, Raheem Mostert, in a loss, got 19 carries in bad weather for 146 yards and a touchdown. Um, This is a game where, or a situation where Matt Breida, we're not exactly sure what his injury deal is right now. Tevin Mm -hmm. Coleman has kind of been saved by touchdowns, and despite that, hasn't had great performances. So Mostert, this still is a three-person backfield if all are healthy, and even if we think that he is the healthiest one or maybe the best one, that doesn't mean he's going to see even like 12 touches every week. The caveat is obviously Breed's ankle. That's what we're waiting on. As he was late scratched against the Ravens, we thought he would play. But yeah, Tevin Coleman played a season-low 10 snaps. Fully healthy. Yikes. Fully healthy, by the way. Ten snaps, five carries, a single target. Jeff Wilson in on five snaps. But it was Mostert, as you said, 42 of 57 snaps, 19 carries, which is a season high. A season high, 146 rushing yards. Uh, if Breed is out, what has happened now, this was Mostert's four-touchdown Tevin Coleman game. Expectations are blown out of the water. All this does really is secure the second running back and the Niners offense if Breed stays out. Like, okay. I would imagine... I wouldn't even be shocked if Mostert doesn't even get over 60% of the snaps next week. Right. But it does secure him to stay around that 50% mark and now makes out-touching Coleman not only in his range of outcomes if Breida stays out, but a probability, which we didn't have before. We had the snap rate splitting down the middle 100% certain before. But now we have a possible RB1 in his range of outcomes, and that's what we're chasing here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he, like you said, the snap rate between Coleman and Mostert was right down the middle with, with Breida out of it. Now we know there's a ceiling there, too. Now we know. All right, next up, we have James Washington. Uh, On the recap podcast, Daigle, we talked about the days of 3,000 total yards combined between Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges being completely gone at Oklahoma State. We thought hopefully that connection would make something happen when they joined together with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Nope, not at all. It was a disaster. Well, now you have Duck Hodges and James Washington going on one hunting trip together, mm-hmm. and that means They're going to continue going on hunting trips, buddy. That right, In the last him. few weeks, you have James Washington catching three passes for 98 yards and a touchdown. This past weekend against the Cleveland Browns, four catches, 111 yards and a score. We talked about Doug Hodges. At the very least, he's not turning the football over, and he's testing more down the field. Well, James Washington is very much a vertical receiver. James Washington is quietly the wide receiver 16 since week eight in PPR leagues. Really? He's averaged five and a half targets. Yes, it's come from Mason Rudolph, but he's averaged five and a half targets in that span. And one trip to a duck blind has obviously sealed his rapport with Hodges, who trusts him downfield. And James Washington, it's, it's actually pretty amazing because he looks incredibly talented as well. Like making that 
30-yard touchdown catch while being dragged down by T.J. Carey. He's, he's a deep ball specialist, which he showed at Oklahoma State. Why Rudolph didn't show that in his time as a starter, I have no idea, because Rudolph was also a deep ball specialist. But it's clearly finally flashing in James Washington's second year. Uh, and so with Duck Hodges, who gives him a chance downfield, that's all we want. We just want the downfield targets. And he gets the Cardinals next week. I mean, we're not going to find guys that are getting 8 to 10 targets per game on the waiver wire at this point. And, yeah, James Washington doesn't have a game this year with more than seven targets. So, if we are going to take a chance on these guys, it better be someone that's getting those deep balls. 19.3 yards per catch. Every play this guy makes going Which for is awesome. games. He's balling right now. Next up is Anthony Miller, the Bears wide receiver. Lots of targets for him over the last three weeks. 11 against the Rams in a loss. 9 against the Giants. 13 this past week and on Thanksgiving against the Detroit Lions. Those 13 targets went for nine catches and 140 yards. This is a player in Anthony Miller coming out of Memphis who was deemed as a slot receiver, someone who won not closer to the line of scrimmage, but kind of in the short to intermediate area. Mm -hmm. Dago, why is he getting peppered with targets so often right now from a team that most likely doesn't want to throw the football as much as they are? Well, the last two games were called Taylor Gabriel in and out. And Taylor Gabriel is this featured caveat for the Bears wide receivers because now we have two games against the Lions, right? So there's a lot here. Allen Robinson played season highs in slot snaps, 55% in his first game against the Lions because they moved him inside away from Darius Slay. This last game, a season high 60% of snaps in the slot because they moved him away from Darius Slay. So if Taylor Gabriel's out, I would imagine Anthony Miller goes back to over 80% of snaps from the slot. He played a nice 69% in that last game on Thanksgiving. So Anthony Miller now, 33 targets in his last three games. Team high, 26% target share in that span. Uh, he just developed a rapport, and as we saw in his rookie year, remember, he got seven touchdowns his rookie year. Yeah. He's, he's actually a good player as well. So now getting full-time run, assuming Taylor Gabriel comes, is out, or if he comes back as maybe limited since it is off of a concussion, a concussion then, uh, then yeah, Miller is maybe a guy who does get you eight to ten targets off the way man i would just hate in the first round of my fantasy playoffs to roll out to, anthony miller and yeah miss. and i understand the last three weeks he's had a lot of targets so maybe if you eliminate the name then you look at the targets and the situation and say hey yeah i should start this guy but just me with my bias with not wanting to attach myself to mitch trubisky i don't know if i would be able to do it it's a little more stable, too, I think, just because Trey Burton, they used him more as a slot receiver. He's on IR. Tariq Cohen, they were doing like a slot wide receiver experiment with him. Earlier in the season, he's back to more of a pure running back role. But, no, look, Tony Miller, like you said, seven touchdowns rookie. He is actually good, and now he's actually due for positive touchdown regression. Only hmm. Robert Woods, Leonard Fournette, and Mike Williams, only guys with more targets without receiving touchdowns. This and remember, Dallas, number 18 pass defense DVOA, a one we've talked about we're not scared of, continues, allow continues allowing 20-plus yard plays. Like, if we get Miller in a full-time role in the slot against Dallas, that's actually a defense you want to attack. Uh, okay, let's close out with a tight end. Um, not a good option. But what? Ian Thomas stepped in for Greg Olson, who left with an awful head injury, looked like a concussion, caught four of four targets for 24 yards. Um, Ian Thomas has not been involved at all this season. This team just doesn't know how to put two receiving tight ends on the field at the same time. Um, but you are advocating for playing, not playing, but picking up. Yeah, and Thomas, if just in case, out, if you don't have a tight end. Why not? This is a this is a guy who was poised for a second year breakout if Olsen was out of the way, and Olsen was not out of the way. Olsen's been one of the heaviest used tight ends all year long. 
Now if Olsen's gone, remember, Anthony uh, Ian Thomas over his last four games last year in his rookie year was number six among all tight ends and receiving yards. Totaled 2,202 touchdowns in that span on 84% of their snaps. If Olsen is gone, Thomas plays every single snap. Yeah, Panthers' upcoming matchups, by the way. Falcons, Seahawks, Colts. Three pretty tight end friendly matchups. Pretty great matchup. I'm, you are much more positive about this than I am. I, I love Dean Thomas coming into the season anyhow, but I also just assumed that Greg Olson's foot wouldn't hold up, uh, and it was an unfortunate hit he took. Yeah, 28 total yards this year. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter what he's done this year. It's, it matters now if he gets okay. that starting role what happens. I, and he's a, I think he's a strong streaming option. Like, you may lose Tyler Higby if Gerald Everett comes back. Tyler Higby just goes back to being, you know, a normal tight end. You would then start Ian Thomas over Tyler Higby if Gerald Everett comes back, and so on and so on. I think the problem Josh is trying to subtly hint at. Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen under center. Me? Never. I would never <laughs> do such a thing. All right, before I say anything worse, that does it for us. We'll be back here on Thursday and Friday with two more episodes. Again, if you missed any of... The not-so-good Week 13 action. Go back and listen to our – it was not a good week, Sunday. Week 9 football. or whatever that was. What was, was that, Hell bad. Week? That was, was the bad. worst. Even bad football is good football. But we watch the games, so you don't have to. So go back and watch or, and listen to that recap episode. Up for John, for Ian, I'm Josh. We'll talk to you all soon. See you, everyone. You guys are so weird. <laughs> Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.